Blog Talk Radio. Man, it was real cool in school if we got good grades Like straight up babes, our parents would take us to a 76 game I got my game and there ain't no shame Big shots of Mo Cheeks and Moses Malone Julius Server called Phileas home Bobby Jones, Daryl Dawkins, and Tony Sinkin' Freeze Rocky Bobo will come from South Philly But if you wanna make it on time to the show There's only one road that you really have to know So get to Fishtown without all that job I suggest that you drive on I-95 Wanna get downtown but feeling a fix Get on that road they call 676, the most expensive, expensive piece of interstate they ever made. The fellas ain't famous, but they got good game. Getting on 76ers, Charles Bartley, this Larry Bird. Getting on 76ers, Charles Bartley, this Larry Bird. Hello, and welcome to episode three of the State of Independence podcast. Uh, Jeff McMenamin here uh, from Metro Philly. I'm joined here by Philly.com's Michael Kasky Blumen. How are you doing? Good, Jeff. What's going on, man? How are you? Pretty good. Uh, Very exciting new things with the podcast. We just added this podcast to the app Stitcher. So if you want to go out there and uh, add it to your list, it's there. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Sixers Report. Um, yeah, it's been uh, you know an interesting week to say the least for the Sixers. Playing without Michael Carter Williams is obviously going to be a tough task. You know, he was kind of handling the offensive load with Roten gone and you know Covington every now and then as well. But uh, you know, this past week playing without him, the Sixers you know, racked up a win against the Hornets, but we're handled inside pretty well against the Celtics and, uh, you know, the Warriors are the Warriors. It's kind of hard to get a win against them, but what worked for them and what didn't this week that you saw? Yeah. I saw, um, that, that win over the Hornets on uh, Saturday night was, was the Sixers first win, uh, without Carter Williams in the lineup in the past 21 games. Um, so they've been really struggling to pull out a win with him sitting out. So it was nice to see that they could kind of get that monkey off their back and prove that they could win without a, without the reigning rookie of the year. With that mm-hmm. being said, what I liked a lot, uh, what I saw is obviously the continuing growth of the defense. I think, you know, that Warriors game, they came, they lost, they didn't come away with the win. But I think you you got to see a lot of really positive things in that game, especially on the defensive end. You know, they held the Warriors mm-hmm. to uh, 89 points. I, I'm not positive, but I think that was the first time that they've been held under 90 for the uh, for the season. If not the first, certainly one of the only well, you know one of the only few times it's happened is they have the uh, the league's best offense. I just like uh, I like the way that they're pressuring the rim and getting out on the perimeter. They're Closing out on shots, if you remember last year with uh, Evan and Thad and Spencer, the team, they just got rained down on by on threes. Like, every game it seemed like the other team was hitting 15, mm-hmm. 16 threes on them. And it's just nice yeah. to see that, you know, they're, it's clearly a, a focus that they've they've worked on now getting out and closing on shooters, even like, you know, a team as potent shooters like the Warriors. I don't know. I don't remember how many they finished up with, but it wasn't, you know, they obviously made an effort to uh, – chase him off the line and protect him at the rim. I think that's been a pretty promising uh, development over the past few weeks. What about you? Would you like in these uh, past couple of games since we last talked? Yeah, you mentioned, uh, you know, closing out on the perimeter. I can 
go back maybe as far as 10 years and say that's been a problem for this organization. And, you know, it's great to see that they're finally stepping it up on the perimeter and, you know, guarding those shooters on the outside. And I was honestly shocked by their win against the Hornets. We had talked, you know, before the game and thought that Al Jefferson would really come in and kind of dominate that game. But, you know, he was held pretty silent and without having that outside shooting, you know, they had Kemba Walker before that could really light it up from the outside at times. It was a very impressive thing to see them shut all doors and windows on the outside. And I think it's been very impressive to see Hollis Thompson find a stroke somewhat recently. I know he shot 0 of 9 against the Warriors, but, you know, he was one of the main reasons why the Sixers beat the Hornets in that game with, you know, 18 points off the bench, 6 of 9 shooting, and Covington also played one of his best games with uh, 22 points to lead all scorers. But, you know, I, I think the Sixers have really found their winning formula, just playing sound defense and hitting their outside stroke, which wasn't there to obviously start off that 0-17 streak to start the season. But um, they were able to hold the Warriors to just 89 points, as you mentioned. Uh, you know, it hasn't happened often this season, and the last time that happened was on Christmas Day, where they were held to 86 points. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's been a, a very positive thing to see. And playing without Michael Carter-Williams, they had in there Tim Frazier. And um, I don't know what your thoughts are on him and um, if you think he should be the backup the rest of the season. Yeah, I mean, obviously he was thrown into kind of a tough situation there. You get picked up on a, on a 10-day and you're, you know, you get one, one game coming off the bench and then you're immediately thrown into a, into the starting spot there. I think he uh, he handled it well. You know, he didn't look necessarily nervous out on the court. He he was in control of the offense at times, it looked. I mean, his shooting would certainly have to improve if he was to be a regular rotation player going forward for the rest of the season. I think he was shooting like 22% from the field um, in those three games. He was moving the ball around nicely. And I like how he kind of kept the ball moving around the perimeter. Um, I'm not sold on him uh, by any means going forward. I think he's done a good job with the situation that he was given. But, um, you know, it's not it's not enough. From, I haven't seen enough out of him for me to even warrant saying that he should be uh, the backup for the rest of the season. I think, uh, you know, he would really need to – to shoot better from the field, and, uh, cut down. He's averaging four and a half turnovers. He'd have to, uh, you know, cut that down a little bit to be considered a viable backup for the rest of the season. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of with you there. Um, I think it's a little too soon to say that he's definitely won that title. Uh, he played fairly well in, you know, the three games, but you can find some negatives in each one. 11 assists in his NBA debut, um, like you said, has only been done seven times to uh, get over 10 assists in that first game, which, you know, was impressive. But then two of nine from the field didn't look great defensively. Uh, Eight assists against the Hornets, great. But 0 for 7 from the field again and four turnovers against the Warriors. That could have been his most complete game with 10 points, seven assists, and some great defense on Steph Curry. But, you know, seven turnovers is just unacceptable in a close game like that. And, really kind of costed them the game. I mean, it's it's been an impressive stretch of games defensively, and I just can't understand the, the piece I read the other day from 
your fellow colleague Marcus Hayes over at the Enquirer. Uh, yeah, I've seen some hot takes on this team, but for the simple fact that this came out when it did, you know, what he said just didn't really make sense. Do you think Sam Hinkie should have given out a 10-day to Earl Watson, the assistant coach for the Austin Spurs? <laughs> yeah, uh, first let me say I, I can't say that I always, uh, you know, fully agree or support or like the, uh, you know, what gets published. We have a lot of a lot of writers over here, and I can't appreciate all their opinions. Uh, in this particular case, I, I agree with you there. I didn't, I didn't understand at all where Marcus was coming from with that article. It seemed as though almost he he hadn't watched the team yet this season. The point mm-hmm. that you were making in that article was the same thing that's been regurgitated by you know doubters of Pinky and the plant since last summer. You know he spent a lot of sentences trying to get down to say basically we should have a backup point guard or you know a veteran backup point guard on the team. Uh, I think the development that the team has been showing in recent months is a testament to the fact that they've done all right without that um, veteran point guard. You know, a lot of last year, a lot of people thought that getting rid of Turner um, and Hawes and then, you know, this year getting rid of Fad was going to doom the team because they were the veteran guys. And I think really it's it's just kind of created an atmosphere that's forced some of the younger players to, you know, mature and step up at a quicker rate, expand their game and grow and become, you know, just by throwing them right into the fire. And I honestly can't see any negatives that have come out of that situation. I'm firmly entrenched in the idea that no money needs to be spent on veteran pieces for the rest of the season as far as any guidance. I think the, the team's done a good job of developing itself. And, uh, I don't know if Earl Watson would be interested in uh, dusting off the old shoes and coming back to the court anyway. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's been plenty of attacks on the losing mentality and you know, the lack of veteran leadership, but it's just such odd timing and so random for this attack by Hayes. I mean, the team's been playing its best basketball all season and really showing their development, and now he's you know, calling Hinky a fraud for not bringing Earl Watson or Jameer Nelson. I mean, come on now. Like, uh, it, it, it just didn't make any sense. Those are the same people saying to give more minutes to Andre Miller in Washington. I mean, you have John Wall. <laughs> There's nothing more that you need there. You know, he's lucky to play the minutes he plays. And um, it just seems like he didn't have a clue about the plan in that article to lose while getting young guys to play large minutes and um, adding a quality veteran, not to say that Earl or Jameer are quality at this point in their careers. It just doesn't really accomplish anything. But speaking of veterans, Jason Richardson will reportedly return to the team on February 20th. Uh, He hasn't played in a game since January 18th of 2013. And um, in an interview with CSN's D. Lynham, He said that he thinks he has a few years left. Is this just a ploy to potentially find trade value in his expiring contract, or do you think Richardson is actually suiting up for the Sixers next Friday? Well, you got to like his optimism, Jeff, at least. I mean, at 33, he hasn't played in a couple years, and the guy feels like he can still come in and contribute to somebody. Um, So, I mean, you you at least have to like uh, his attitude with that. As far as with the Sixers, I mean, it's just maybe he'll see a couple minutes if he, you know, if they could get him through. He hasn't, last I saw that he hasn't um, ran through any five-on-fives yet, which would be the last, you know, the last hurdle they would have to clear before he could actually be um, 
declared to go into games. I just I I just don't really see where he would fit on the court this season with the team and why it would really make any sense for him to take any sort of major minutes away from some of the you know, like the younger wing guys, even like Jakar or Hollis, uh, you know, K J or Bob or Jeremy, you know, it, it just doesn't really make sense. I I like Jason. I thought he's had a great career and you know, he's been great in Philly for the past couple of years, even without being able to play, being there, you know, as a voice and a locker room leader for the guys. Brett um, and Sam have had nothing but good things to say about him. But from an on-court mm-hmm. basketball perspective, it, is, it doesn't make I – don't, I don't see why or where he would really fit in this season. And um, I don't see – I just don't think there would be a, a very high trade, you know, market for – he, at this point, he's basically an unknown. You know, if you're you haven't played basketball in almost two years and you're trying to make a comeback, mm-hmm. no one's gonna try to you know make a move for you. So, you know, it's an interesting situation. Uh, we'll see how it plays out. I wouldn't be shocked if he maybe you know logs some minutes for us down the, the end of the season here, but major minutes, no. And I don't think he has enough. Um, I don't think there, I think he's too much of an unknown to demand too much at the trade deadline. Uh, what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, um, I I love Jason. I've had the opportunity to interview him several times, and he's as professional as they come in in the business. But uh, to say that he's actually going to take the court, uh, I mean, it's a little bit of a stretch. Um, You know, Liberty Ballers, as Derek Bobner had a pretty good piece a while back on Richardson's contract situation, and he was saying that he could be a good piece for a trade deadline deal to match salary if the Sixers are going to try to absorb one of those larger deals for a pick. And he also talked about his contract being insured and the terms of that insurance are if he doesn't play in the first 41 games of the season, then the insurance company will pay 80% of the 6.6 million he's owed. So, you know, I, I feel like it's more them keeping him around for those reasons rather than, you know, actually trying to get something out of him. And I think it would be a huge stretch if uh, he actually indeed did play the season. Yeah, I mean, it just seems like Richardson is one giant salary loophole for the team. And even if he ends up playing, you can't really expect anything from him. But, yeah, I mean, moving on to All-Star Weekend, we have two Sixers competing, and Noel and MCW, as long as his uh, foot heals up in time. I have a feeling MCW will be there, considering he was you know, selected for the skills competition as well. But what does competing in these types of events do for a player's trade value? And um, do you feel like All-Star Weekend in itself is a good time for GMs to come up with these deals? Well, you would have to think that Mike would want to play um, this weekend if he'd be available to, right? Opportunity for him to get to get his name out there. You'd have to think if he if he's able mm-hmm. to give it a go, you'd think he'd want to. Um, I think it's yeah. nice for the Sixers too to have a uh, you know a couple guys out there. The, it's a you know the weekend's a big spectacle that a lot of people pay attention to, and uh, you know some of the teams that don't have representation kind of can fly under the radar. Um, for the weekend, so it's kind of nice that the Sixers, I mean, obviously they don't have any All-Stars, but at least they have a couple of guys on the come-up that are, um, you know, the league and the fan base kind of has their eye on to look out for, you know, coming up in the future. Uh, I don't know if it, if participation in the All-Star weekend, I mean, obviously once you get to the level of an All-Star and you're playing in the All-Star game, your trade value is going to get a boost just based off the fact that you're 
that caliber of a player. I don't know if being associated with the All-Star Weekend itself necessarily would, would boost, um, do a lot to boost trade value, but it can't, it obviously can't hurt. And like I said, I feel like it's mm-hmm. good for players, um, players on their own to get, especially like a young, young guys like Carter Williams and Noel to get acclimated to being on a big stage like that and being mentioned with and in and around the league, um, elite players, you know, obviously that would, would do good things for the psyche, give, give you confidence as far as, you know, I belong here. These are my peers. I'm at this level of the game. Can't, you know, that could only do positive things for a player's uh, confidence and self-esteem. So I like to see that they're both, you know, there and participating. And uh, as far as trade getting done over All-Star Weekend, I feel like it's a notoriously quiet time, but I feel like it's also a time where um, a lot of groundwork might be getting done. You know, a lot of teams mm-hmm. have this year, too, there's an extended break, um, extra days off where the trades themselves aren't actually might not be, you know, announced and uh, gone through. But with the trade deadline coming up at the, after the all-star break, I feel like that it might be a time, an opportunity with, without games, you know, to focus on the organizations and kind of look at their needs and what they want to address a little bit more and maybe work to make some moves, um, at least, you know, start to put in the wheels in motion to some moves to make at, at the deadline day coming up. Yeah, I mean, going back to the trade value of these players, I think it definitely increases the players' marketability, which in turn could, you know, increase their trade value. MCW, for example, as shaky as he's played this season, he's still very marketable to the league's, like, youth and jersey sales, et cetera, and Noel seems to be on that same path this season. And... um yeah, I think that's one of the big pluses of being selected to compete in terms of, like, drawing up trade proposals for the deadline. You know, everyone's in town, so there's plenty of opportunities to get deals in the works. Even, uh, you know, players-wise, I remember Iverson trying to lure various players to the team, you know, at All-Star Weekend, and Coach Brown saw, you know, something special in Dikembe Mutombo that year they went to the uh, NBA Finals in 2001, and uh, that ultimately brought him to Philly when Ratliff went down. So, I mean, I think being around all these, you know, players and GMs and coaches can only um, add to those connections you make throughout the league and possibly bring something to fruition, maybe not this season, but maybe even a couple of years down the line. So, you know, I think it's a good time to just kind of have these discussions and evaluations. But, yeah, you know, speaking of the All-Star game, the Sixers had Iguodala and Drew Holiday as, uh, you know, members of the East All-Stars in 2012 and 13. Who do you think is, you know, the next current Sixer to reach that platform? You know, that's actually a- it's a really good question. I think it's a testament to the Sixers, at least a good sign for the future that it could be, there's a couple of different options for which you could choose. You know, it's not like, Oh, it's going to be Allen Iverson. Oh, it's going to be Allen Iverson. There's actually like, a few, <laughs> I, I, uh, I proposed this question on Twitter, um, actually a couple of days ago and listed options. Cause I was kind of, you know, all-stars coming around. I was kind of curious as to like who people thought was really going to be the next, uh, Sixer all-star, um, I put as the options I had uh, Carter Williams, Noel, Embiid, 
uh, KJ Covington, and I also threw in an F option, which is a player that's not yet on the team, whether it be you know someone they drafted in the lottery this year or someone they acquire via trade. The uh, overwhelming mm-hmm. majority of the answers were either Embiid or someone not yet on the team. Um, mm-hmm. Not a lot of people had faith in Carter Williams or Noel developing it into an all-star. Um, obviously, I, I would guess if I had to pick who I think would be the next one, it would, I mean, based, even though he hasn't played yet, you would probably want to say Embiid off of, you know, scouting reports, what he was able to do in college, the potential of his game. Um, you know, you'd like to say that. Honestly, too, the way Nerlens Noel has been progressing throughout the season, I have my expectations for him have grown um, exponentially. He's as good as advertised on the defensive end already. Um, he, I really think he's going to blossom into one of the league top uh, paint like defenders. And offensively, he's not as challenged as I expected him to be. He's, uh, you know, by no means a go-to guy, but he can he can finish. He's he'll be a double-digit scorer by next year just by default based off his athleticism, boops and putbacks and stuff. I think he has a chance to develop into an all-star caliber player. Um, I feel like Embiid would be a safer choice. Uh, you know, he has bigger, probably a higher ceiling, and a higher potential to become an all-star. So the safe bet would be probably Embiid. But uh, I wouldn't count Noel out as eventually becoming an all-star either. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, I'm going with Embiid as well. Um, I don't like putting tags on guys who aren't even on the team because you can't really judge, you know, where they're going to fit with the team or, you know, anything like that yet. So um, right. I'm going with Embiid. I mean, out of the positions in the East, I'd say that center is probably the thinnest with, you know, that type of talent. Um you know, you've got Roy Hibbert, Al Horford, Andre Drummond, Nene, maybe Gasol, but after that, who do you really have? I, I mean, I think Embiid can develop into all-star talent. I don't know if it's going to be next season or, you know, three years down the line, but I think he has the potential to jump in there where Noel, you know, there's a lot of great power forwards in the East, you know, depending on where the Sixers go in the draft, uh, a lot of people think they're going to go big again. You know, his minutes might be taken away. It's just kind of tough to examine, you know, what they're going to do in the 2015 draft and how that's going to affect the team. Uh, I mean, what do you think about uh, just that kind of statement regarding their potential pick and how that affects all-star status? Yeah, I mean, like you said, it's 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 tough to say that any player is going to be an all-star, let alone, you know, one that hasn't played, let alone you don't even know which player you're talking about yet. I mean, the draft is still five months away. Um, we have no clue who it's going to end up being. And I would like to think that they have someone already in within the organization that has all-star talent, you know what I mean? I don't like to say that no one that they've worked to develop and acquire over the past two years could potentially be an all-star I mean, who's to say that, you know, if Robert Covington can continue to improve, KJ, like, they're, these guys are so young still and raw, and um, their skill sets are still, you know, underdeveloped. It's hard to really say what some of them could be. Like, Robert Covington had, really has he has a chance to develop into an, an, a great, like, offensive option for this team. You know, maybe it's a – I don't want to, you know, overshoot here. Maybe, like, an 18-, 20-point score down the road eventually, like – so, yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it's just, that's just hard to tell. Um, 
with Joel though, I've been uh, been making a point to try to get down to a couple of the, the games a little bit earlier recently to watch him, um, you know, out on the court a little bit before. And his his shot is um, it's something that's really been impressive to me. You know, I knew he had a, a stroke at Kansas last year. You'd see him take it out to, you know, comfortably like mm-hmm. 15, 16, 17, 17 feet. He's a uh, He's now routinely out there hitting threes, uh, hitting twenty footers, you know, corner elbow jumpers, consistently with and the sh- with a shot that looks, you know, not better than half decent, looks co- like reliable and consistent. Um, it, he could really be an inside outside type threat that's really rare in today's NBA. Almost like a, maybe not quite the finesse of a Paul Gasol, but a guy that can, you know, mix it up under the basket, uh, get rebounds, and then also stretch it to knock down 17, 18-footer all the way out to the three-point line. And uh, a skill set like that is combined with, like, the size of his body, the height and, like, width-wise. It's just, uh, it's a rare package. It has me excited to see him out on the court in an actual NBA game. And it's that, uh, you know, that I think gives him an edge, too, with the whole future, future all-star conversation yeah i mean it's kind of funny i've got to see joel um you know his pregame activities as well and um i was kind of surprised to see how many attempts that he missed around the basket compared to you know how many jumpers he was hitting on the baseline and around the free throw line as well and uh you know for brett brown to come out and say oh he might be the the second best shooter on the team as we currently stand i mean that's a, a testament to how good he could potentially be from the mid-range and, um, you know, really give this team an added dimension that they haven't really had this season. I mean, Henry Sims at times can hit it around the free-throw line as well in the mid-range, but when you're relying on Henry Sims for that kind of offense, <laughs> you're uh, going down a wrong path, I guess. So, <laughs> hey, man, um, don't be hating on Henry Sims. <laughs> He is consistent from that uh, that foul line extended jump. Henry's really been yeah. knocking that down. <laughs> yeah, I mean, not to discredit Henry Sims, but I just feel like Noel, uh, from what I've seen, has shown you know a more consistent jumper, not just from that one area, but all over the court. Um, but I, I mean, moving on, um, this will be the last question, just because we're uh, running short on time here, but. Once again, this is the State of Independence podcast. Uh, yeah, I'm just going into the trade deadline. And, um, you know, who do you think will be sweating it out the most on uh, February 19th when this day comes upon us? That's a good question, Jeff. I mean, it's definitely going to be different than, uh, you know, than a different approach than it was last year. You, you had to think Evan Turner had to be sitting on pins and needles for my uh, entire day last year waiting till uh, 3 o'clock for them to pull that deal. This year it's not quite as, you know, last night or last year it was pretty pretty obvious who was going to, at least who they were going to try to move on. This year it's a little bit more difficult. Most of the players making up the roster are dudes that they've you know, brought up and developed on their own over the past year rather than guys they've, uh, they've kind of inherited. Uh, with that being said, I mean, I would have said Roten, uh, you and I talked about this, I think it was on the uh, the first podcast, um, I think I think Roten would have been a guy that would have been, they would have considered moving and would have had some value across the league for his scoring ability. Um, 
but without that, I mean, maybe like we were just talking about Henry. I mean, I don't really know what what the draw would be. He's a serviceable backup center, and I, I don't think you would get too much for him. He honestly might be better served just to keep him around, continue to develop mm-hmm. him a little bit more. Um, you know, like we said, Richardson, it's, he's too much of an unknown to, you know, command too much attention, you would think, at the deadline. Uh, one player that that would be, you know, at least interesting would be Luke um, Mute. But like we said, we just I don't know how willing the team would be to move him. He's, uh, he's obviously developed this year, and he would be of interest somewhere across the league, a guy that can, you know, play – play defense on the perimeter, guard a small forward or a shooting guard, or even push up to a power forward if he has to. He can defend a couple a couple positions. And, you know, he's shown the ability to knock down not knock down jumpers this year, something that he's never done before. He's made more threes this year uh, alone than he has in his entire career combined, which is, you know, a 3-and-D a, a type of guy in today's NBA is pretty valuable. Um, mm-hmm. And I feel, you know, it's just I don't know uh, – you know how how willing the team would be to try to part with him, considering he is basically, you know, with Jay Rich, who's not playing. He's really the team's only playing veteran, and you know you have to consider the role you know that he's had in, you know, Embiid's development and his continued development going forward, and if the team wants to keep him around. But uh, yeah, other than that, I I think you know Sam said on national broadcast the other night with uh, with Malik and Mark that the team's going to be active he said you know he's he doesn't yeah. know if that means they're going to get anything done but you know him he's always he's always got the feelers out there he'll of course like consider anything uh you know answer any phone call so it's a, it's really difficult to say what would happen but uh, you know let's say luke would probably be the most the guy that would at least have some value across the league what about you so you think mcw is uh gonna stay yeah, I'm, I'll go on record right now. I, I don't. I would be very surprised if Michael Carter Williams was traded uh, at the trade deadline next year. I would be. I'd be very surprised. Not. Not that he's not. You know, a potential to be traded going down the line somewhere. I'm not saying that the team sold on him as their future point guard, but I would be. Uh, you know, just with the way the league is right now. Um, you know, there, there's not a lot of teams that really need a point guard right now for like the playoff push a lot of teams are pretty stacked in that position let alone you know one that's still developing and has shown the inconsistencies with Carter Williams and it's tough for you know a point guard is not necessarily like a a shooting guard or small forward that you can kind of plug in you you know have to teach and run a whole new offense and let alone the fact that I I don't I don't know what they would get for uh, an offer for Mike at this point and I don't know that they would be you know really wanting to get rid of him at this point in the season so yeah I would be I would be pretty surprised if uh, he was moved at the trade deadline. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting case with Michael Carter-Williams. As always, um, he has an attractive contract over the next three seasons for sure. He's coming off the Rookie of the Year campaign, and, um, you know, he's about to showcase his talents this weekend. You know, I, I think a good reason to move him would be just to stop all these uh, stories and rumors going around from, you know, the likes of Zach Lowe and Wodge just uh, talking about the team's intent to trade him. You might as well do the guy a favor and get it done sooner rather than later if that is the intent of the team. His value isn't at its highest point right now like it was before the the draft last year, but um, I think he 
could still draw some decent interest uh, either from a team without a point guard or from a contending team in the need of, you know, backup right now. I don't really know what the Sixers would trade for him. You know, maybe a first rounder or uh, maybe a young piece that might fit the team needs. But yeah, I mean, looking through the teams in the league, the Lakers have Jeremy Lin at point guard. The Knicks have what Langston Galloway right now. Uh, the Pacers yeah. don't really have, you know, the best option there. The Kings have Collison. You know, there's a few teams out there, kind of looking right now for you know their next point guard. And I'm not saying that the Lakers should go after MCW, but you know they have two first-round picks this upcoming draft. One of them being in the you know 27 range, so that could be a potential trade partner with the Sixers if you know they're just looking to move on and um, get a guy that you know the organization likes. That Magic Johnson even came out as saying is you know a special talent in the league, and um, you know I don't know what the deal makeup would be, but I put in the trade machine kind of just a uh, a flyer where, you know, they would trade Carter Williams and maybe a future second rounder for Ed Davis, Wayne Ellington, and, you know, that late first rounder in the upcoming draft. But, you know, what what do you think about a potential deal like that that gets the Sixers maybe a first-round pick in this year's draft? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely an interesting thing to consider. It seems like Mike's already been playing underneath the cloud of trade rumors for, you know, like half of his career with the Sixers already. But uh, the thing you, got, you have to, like, kind of keep in mind is how much of that is merited. I mean, you know, like you, you said, Zach Lowe and uh, Woj, have, you know, they've, they've touched on the fact that the Sixers might not be sold on him, which is definitely possible. But at, at the same time, it's never been, you know, you never heard Sam or Brett come out and say, we don't think this is our guy. I feel like they're mm-hmm. they're committed to Mike to a certain extent, and uh, I feel like if they were going to make a move, uh, if they, like if they were ready to move on from him at this early stage in his career, the the ideal time to do that would have been, like you said, on draft day. They had he was they had Alfred Payton. I mean, they there was talk that once he was the pick, that this that meant the end of Carter Williams' era already. And it wouldn't mm-hmm. make sense then. I mean, Alfred Payton, you know, they had a new point guard in tow. He's he's a good prospect, a good you know, um, he had a nice, a bright future too. And when they when that ended up being you know the move with Orlando for uh, Dario, I feel like that I don't want to say reaffirmed the commitment to Carter Williams, but you know they they obviously had some discussions. They had to weigh it out. The fact that well, you know. We have this Alfred Payton in our possession right now, but we have Mike. You know, it came out that Mike's still there. I feel like there's there's some commitment to him. For as far as like a deal, you said though. I mean, if if the right deal comes along, like we were saying, Sam's going to listen, and if it's attractive enough, he's going to take it. A first round pick uh, at this point is you know it's it's high value in the NBA, especially if it's in even like the mid to late teens, that's a, you know, that's, that's a nice asset to have. And a couple, so a couple of young players, you know, Ed Davis, I don't know if the Sixers need necessarily more front court help, but he's a, you know, he's a nice young piece. Same with Wayne Ellington. So, I mean, it, it, a deal like that would, I'm I still, like I said, I'm still um, of the camp. I don't think he'll be traded this, you know, during the season. If, if he does get moved potentially maybe in the off season, but, uh, 
if he were going to get moved, it would take it would a move a deal something like you just mentioned would probably be what it would take to you know budge the Sixers mm-hmm. in that direction. Yeah, I mean, there's some interesting uh, guys projected by Draft Express right now around that range in, uh, you know, Rondé Hollis-Jefferson, Jerry and Grant, um, you know, two offensive pieces that the Sixers could really add to this team. You know, obviously for the Sixers, Jeremy Grant would be very happy to be paired with his brother on the team, but, uh, you know, for that to happen, it would take that extra first-rounder and, you know, teams value those so highly these days that it probably wouldn't happen. But, yeah, I mean, that, that's what it would take to move MCW, I think, for Sam Hinkie, and that's why he was so hard to move at draft day last year. But, yeah, I mean, that's it for the episode. Enjoy the new mascot of the Philadelphia 76ers, <laughs> Franklin Dog, you know, at, at the next about, game you, you guys get out yeah. to. I don't know how to describe him, man. I, I was excited for Big Shot to come back, but then when I saw this uh, kind of duck-looking dog come on the scene yesterday at the Franklin Institute, it was uh, it's kind of disappointing. But what do you think? Yeah, he's a little a little mangy looking, huh? Little mangy looking. I don't know if uh, the kids doing all the the work on this was the best decision for the organization, but. You know, at least they have a mascot back. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, well, hopefully, I mean, it'll be a sign of uh, the sign of the times coming if they start to turn things around in the next couple of years. Then uh, maybe Franklin will be uh, kind of like a good luck charm for the team. Of course, and uh, I think everyone here misses Big Shop. Um, he was the man back in the day. But uh, that's all we got today. Um, tune in next Wednesday for another episode. This is signing out. Thanks, Jeff. Enjoy the uh, All-Star break. Back in 1982, man, it was real cool in the school. If we got good grades, like straight up A's, our parents would take us to a 76 game. I got my game and there ain't no shame. Big shots of Mo Cheeks and Moses Malone. Julius Erba called Philly is home. Bobby Jones, Daryl Dawkins, and Tony Sinkin' Freeze. Rocky Bobo will come from South Philly. But if you want to make it on time to the show, there's only one road that you really have to know. So get to Fishtown without all that job. I suggest that you drive on I-95. Want to get downtown but feeling the fix. Get on that road, they cost 676 The most expensive, expensive piece of interstate They ever made a better same favorite But they got good game Get on 76ers Charles Bartley This Larry Bird Get it on 76ers Charles Bartley This Larry Bird Shoots the middleman Now disguises the jewel